0: Welcome to American Epistles, the story of our country, one letter at a time. I'm your host, Susan Stevenson. American Epistles explores our history through the letters, journals, and diaries of ordinary Americans. I expect today's episode to be the last mini-one before women's relief work in World War I. My goal is to post episodes on the first and third Saturdays of each month. Since this month has five Saturdays, that series should start on April 6th. Today's episode is also from World War I and features letters from First Lieutenant James William Alston, an African-American who served in that conflict. Alston was from North Carolina, and in 1907, he began work as a janitor and messenger for the State Museum. I'm sharing letters that he wrote to H. H. Brimley, who was white and a curator at the museum. Unlike in previous episodes, where we read letters from multiple authors— Today we get to follow one individual over the course of multiple letters, three to be exact. There's one thing that I agonized over in deciding how to read them. The name Fritz is a nickname for the German name Friedrich, but it was used as an epithet during the war. It's probably not a big deal to anyone but me, but I'm going to replace the author's use of it with the German soldier. You can read Alston's letters online at the Digital Public Library of America, and I'll include a link in the show notes. September 3rd, 1918. My dear Mr. Brimley, I sure was glad to get your letter and to know that all is well in the good old North State. Everything is moving fine over here so far, and I think we have the German soldier on the run, thanks to the good work of the people back home, and I hope we can keep him on the go until we get a stranglehold on him, and then God help him. I want to see some of the German towns completely destroyed as I have seen the French. He sure has put the part of France that he held on the bomb, but the French will repay him in a not-far-distant date. France is one continuous camp, and troops are coming in all the time, and everyone moves forward all the time, and no one gets to the rear except the wounded. In the rear of the line, they are constantly deserting to go to the front, so much so that they are given leave to go to the front. So you see that the whole movement is constantly towards Berlin. I have seen none of the boys from Raleigh as yet, but hope to when we all get together near Berlin. I am glad to know that my people are doing their bit to win the war. They sure make good soldiers and seem to take delight in sticking the German soldier with a bayonet or clubbing him with the butt end of a rifle, but their main weapon is the hand grenade. I would send you some relics for the museum, but there is a limited amount of transportation here, and I am afraid it would never reach you. "'but perhaps before I come back I can get something for you. "'I wish if you write that you would send me Bob's address, "'as I would like to write to him "'and get to see him if I ever get close to his outfit. "'We have a Captain Swift of Waynesville, North Carolina "'in our outfit. "'I've been commanding my company since July 30th, "'and it is some job, believe me. "'I took command while in the front line "'and have been in the front line all the month of August "'except eight days. "'I hope to get a new captain soon.' and if it is a white captain, let him be from the south, is my prayer. There is some friction between the officers over him, but wherever it is known to exist, the one in fault is promptly relieved, and wherever it exists, it is generally among the ones from the north. The officers from the south that I have met are good fellows, one and all, as a rule. I am writing to the new commander today to ask for special duty as patrol officer, and I hope I can get it, as it affords a fellow a better chance for promotion and excitement all his own, and then I have a score to pay the German soldier for leaving a scar on my face, and I want to get him where I can fix him to my own taste. My best regards to Mrs. Brimley and all my friends, and write when you have time to. Yours very respectfully, James W. Alston. When First Lieutenant Alston mentions clubbing Germans, I wonder if he's referring to Henry Johnson, an African-American soldier in the Harlem-based 369th Infantry Regiment, also known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Johnson gained renown for single-handedly defending against a German raid in May of that year, and a hand grenade and the butt of a gun were among his weapons. He killed four German soldiers, wounded several others, and managed to rescue a wounded fellow soldier, Needham Roberts. For their bravery, Johnson and Roberts received France's Croix de Guerre. They were the first Americans of any race to earn this award. A total of 171 Hellfighters earned this honor from the French military. The Stuff You Missed in History podcast has a great episode about the Hellfighters, and I'll link it in the show notes. The episode also talks about racism in the armed forces during World War I. Not too long after his September letter, Alston was injured and wrote about it in the following letter. October 6, 1918 My Dear Mr. Brimley I have not had the time to write before since the last drive started, not even to my wife, and I don't suppose I would be writing now if it was not for the fact that I am sitting up in a hospital bed with a machine-gun bullet through my right shoulder. I have a French edition of the New York Herald of this date, stating that the Germans want peace, so you can see that I must write to celebrate as the nurse won't let me get up. This last drive is something fine from Switzerland to the sea, and everywhere the German soldier is doomed. In my little sector, we were the reserve at the commencement, but on the third day we took the line, and it was just as German Sherman said, hell. But the good work had to go on, So on we drove, on the heels of the German soldier, passing him back through the lines as fast as we overtook him, killing with bayonets those who manned the machine-gun nest. The French 75 high guns, racing to keep up, had a hard time, and my company ran two days ahead of our rolling kitchen, and the men had to subsist on about half-iron ration, but what did they care as so long as they had the soldier on the run? All they want is to end the war, because they have a horror of a winter over here, in the trenches, and you know my people are at their best in the good old summertime. I will be back with my company in about a month, I am told, but I hate to stay away that long, and I believe every man here wants to get back and help finish a job that we think is near finished. The prisoners are a poor-looking lot, and don't seem to have any fight left in them. They surrender readily when there are no officers to prevent them. This is about all the news I have, and it is no secret. My regards to all my friends in the department, especially Jim, and tell him to keep praying, and we will keep fighting. Write when you can to yours very respectfully. Lieutenant James W. Alston Receiving a combat injury made Alston somewhat unique among African American soldiers serving in the war. Over 350,000 blacks served overseas, but for the most part, they were assigned to jobs such as camp laborers, clerks, stevedores, those who loaded and unloaded cargo ships, and they were assigned to burying the dead. Most black soldiers who did see combat, about 40 to 50,000, did so under French commanders, not American, and they were mostly in the 93rd Division, which included Alston's Division and the Hellfighters. In all, Ninety-one members of Alston's regiment were killed in action, and between six and seven hundred were wounded or gassed. As eager as Alston was in that last letter to return to fighting, the war's days were numbered. He wrote the next letter ten days before the armistice was signed. November 1, 1918 My dear Mr. Brimley, You will probably think that I am a long time getting back to the front, but the boss won't let me go, but promised this morning that I could go in about ten days. My wound is all healed, and with the exception of a very little stiffness, I am as good as ever. There is so much talk of peace, I want to get back and have another try at the German soldier before the finish. I think I have pretty well evened the score with him, but I want to give him some more for good measure. The German soldier can fight like the very devil when he is under cover and has the most men. But can't stand the Yankee steel. and these Yankees, white and black, sure love to use their bayonet whenever they can get near enough to him. I am in the southern part of France, in the town of Vichy, and quartered in one of the best hotels in the town. There are about a hundred officers at the hotel, and I the only colored one, so you know I am lonesome. I was as hungry as a dog the first night I was here, but walking in the dining room, seeing about one hundred white officers and no colored officers, I lost my appetite. But it came back by morning and has stayed with since. I'm treated fine by all the officers, but most of them say I'm a damn fool for wanting to get back to the front. I met Mr. Thomas Ryan's son. He is a sergeant in the medical corps. He sure is one fine man and is crazy to go to the front, but the colonel won't let him. I wish you would send me Mr. Garland Jones and Bob's address, so if any time I am near their outfit I can look them up. I see lots of people from the state, but none from Raleigh, but perhaps I will have luck enough to see someone before I come back to the good old USA. There is no news except the German soldier is catching the very devil. My very best regards to Mrs. Brimley and all friends. Yours very respectfully, James W. Alston. As the letter mentions, there were many rumors of peace before the armistice took effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. On November 7th, The New York World printed the headline, War Over, in its afternoon edition, setting off celebrations from New York to Hollywood. The U.S. Army later concluded that officers had misinterpreted a message that called for a local ceasefire. That incorrect message was delivered to the New York World, which eventually printed it. The 372nd Regiment made their way back across the Atlantic in February 1919, One month after, a monument was erected about nine miles from Montois, in honor of the regiment. The bronze plaque on the granite obelisk reads, In memory of the members of the 372nd U.S. Infantry, killed in action September 26, 1918 to October 7, 1918. The letters in today's episode are licensed by the Digital Public Library of America under the Creative Commons license. The music is performed by Pretlow Stevenson IV. Show notes are at AmericanEpistles.com and check the Pinterest page for images related to today's episode. Please like the podcast on Facebook, follow on Twitter at Ordinary Letters, or leave a message and rating at Apple Podcasts. American Epistles is also on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you very much for listening.